Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. Today we're continuing our series on the book of Micah, looking at Micah chapter 3. This was a sermon preached in our church this morning, and uh, you might like to have the passage open in front of you and have a read of it before listening, as it doesn't start with the passage being read. That's all of Micah chapter 3. And just to let you know, there is more content available on the YouTube channel. There is a weekly Bible study live stream, and that tends to happen on a Wednesday afternoon. But you can catch up with it during the week if you miss. There is also a Firm Foundations course, and we're just on week three of that. This week, thinking about how God is a spirit. God is spiritual and what that means for how we relate to him and how we should live. If you would like to support Understand the Bible, you can do that. There is a link down below and there are various options. I'd love for you to pray for Understand the Bible. Uh, there is options to give as well. And so thanks so much if, you, if you've done any of those things. I hope to see you again for the next one. I'll let you get on with the sermon now. Thank you for listening and God bless. Well, the question that I wanted to, to start with today is just by asking where is God in all of the, the mess of the world, you know, the, the, uh, the middle of a messy world, but especially where, in a world where things just seem to be going so wrong so much of the time, when there are wars, when there are, um, you know, crises of you know, energy or cost of living or, or, or whatever it is, where is God in all of those things? And maybe you think, well, where is where is God stepping in, in in all of this? And I think this is where uh, this chapter, particularly of Micah, is really helpful. Um, because I think that Micah's situation, although obviously not, uh, not like our own in many ways, actually there were some important, uh, I think there are some important parallels which were going on and which are happening. And what Micah says, I think, is directly relevant to what we are facing today. Um, so Micah chapter 3, uh, as we, we've seen through Micah, it, Micah was a prophet over the course of about 50 years. And the uh, Micah, the prophecies that he gave are not really in chronological order. They've just been arranged. So here we just have three sort of oracles um, of judgment. And uh, it's against the leaders and against the false uh, prophets. So uh, they're grouped, though, for a reason. So let's look into what he says. The leaders, first of all, come, come forward for judgment. He says, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? And in um, Hebrew and in, in Greek as well, this is something I only found out this, uh, this week, but that it is possible to ask a question in such a way as to expect a certain answer. And that's what Mike is doing there. He says, uh, should you not embrace justice? Which is a question that says, yes, you should. You know, and, and you should know what that is. Because the leaders of the people, they had the law, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the law of Moses. They should have known what God required of them. And yet, they were not doing what was required. You know, should you not embrace justice? That's what the rulers were there for. They were there to ensure that what was right and just happened in the land. And that is, throughout the Bible, that is the, perhaps the biggest reason why God appoints rulers in, a, in the sort of the secular sense. It is to maintain order and justice, um, to bear the sword. 
that's why God appoint, appoints uh, uh, rulers. Um, but instead, it says they hate good and love evil. It's, they've lost their sense. They've lost their moral compass. And we have this shocking picture here. Verses 2 and 3. It says, you uh, tear the skin from my people, flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bone in pieces. You chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Now, if you imagine cooking a meal and, you know, plucking a chicken, stripping and, and you know, putting it, getting it ready, putting it in the pot to cook. And Micah is saying, this is what you are doing, but not to an animal, to people. And it's a pretty shocking image. But I think it's a shocking image with a point. You know, the prophets never use that kind of language or that kind of imagery without a purpose. And Micah is saying the situation is so dire, so terrible, that this is the image that it needs to be compared with. To, to kind of shock you into realising what it is that you're doing. It's like you are feeding, literally eating the people. That is how bad it is. Now, it's the opposite of what they should be doing. It is the very opposite of what the rulers should be doing. They should be seeking, uh, making sure that people get justice. But instead, they are consuming the people and eating them and feeding off them. You know, taking their money, possessions, whatever it may be. And so then, um, Micah pronounces God's judgment. It says, verse 4, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Um, so Micah is saying God is going to treat them as they treated the people. Now the people have cried out for justice and they haven't answered. And so Micah says, well, God is going to treat you in that way. You are going to cry out to him and he will not answer you. Well, that is a fitting punishment. Um, so that's the first oracle against the, against the leaders. And then he moves on to the prophets. Uh, as it turns out, the false prophets, as it says in verse 5, as for the prophets who lead my people astray. So again, we see that the prophets, these prophets he's talking about, are doing the very opposite of what prophets should be there for. Now, prophets should be there to guide people in the truth. They should be there to, to be a, a moral compass, to help people know the will of the Lord when it comes to when it comes to society, you know, to help people understand how God wants us to live and to, how to, to relate to him and worship him. They were not doing that. Instead, what they were doing, it says, uh, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. I like that picture. You know, they says they proclaim peace for a meal. That's what they really care about. They care about themselves, their bellies. They care about their own, you know, well, I'm all right. Um, and they will actually, when they come to wage war, is when someone won't feed them, when someone won't give them material, uh, get goods. And it's, again, this complete inverting of the perspective, isn't it? You know, they get upset and angry about things which they shouldn't be upset about, but they leave things which they, um, uh, you know, it's the, the other way around, isn't it? You know, they, they don't get upset when they should and they get upset when they shouldn't. Um, and so Micah says, therefore, uh, their, uh, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets. The day will go dark for them. And I think this is a, suggests here that, you know, that God does give 
to some people gifts of, of sort of prophecy and of insight. Uh, but those gifts can be taken away if they are not used properly. And I think this is what has happened or going to happen to the prophets that Micah says. That, you know, God's gifts are given, they're entrusted to us. And that if we do not use God's gifts in the way that he wants us to, he can then take them away. And I think this has happened. There have been times, I remember when I was at college, um, the, the vice principal at the time, he, was, um, he mentioned uh, Roy Clements. I don't know if you've come across Roy Clements. He was a, a, a leader in the church. Um, he wrote many books. He was a, well respected as a, a Bible teacher and pastor. And he was, I think, at the Eden Church in Cambridge. And in the early 1990s, he uh, left his wife and then he announced to the world that he was gay and that he was, he was you know, leaving. Um, but he still wanted to say he was a Christian. And, um, you know, the, the, what he said, the books that he'd written before, I think um, Chris Green, who, who um, was telling us this, said his books, you know, there were some good things in there. After that time, there was, you know, it, it was like the gift had gone and that he didn't have anything to, to say, which was really helpful. I think that gift had been withdrawn because, because he hadn't acted in the right ways. And this is how it is. By contrast, Micah is um, completely different to these prophets. He says, verse 8, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. So how does he contrast with the false prophets? It says he has uh, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Now, there's, um, this is a contrast. There is a, an intriguing moment in, a, in 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. Let me just read you these few verses. Uh, Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing round him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab? into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So there is a difference. There is a spirit of the Lord who is a spirit of truth, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of, you know, um, who leads us to, to what is right and true. But then there are also deceiving spirits. And I think Micah, the prophet Micah, had the spirit of the Lord, in contrast to these false prophets who actually spoke words of deceit, and words which were not godly. Uh, Micah also, he speaks with uh, justice and with might. And compare, comparing that to the, the leaders and rulers of the people, it says, who, who despise justice, they don't do what is right and just. And he, uh, he says, he um, declares to Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sins. Uh, and again, in distinction to the false prophets who merely proclaim peace, who said, well, God is not really listening. And this, as it turns out, is where God is to be found. This is, um, Micah says, I'm filled with power, 
with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. That's where God is found, in the middle of all of this, in that proclamation of the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's where God's power is found, in the middle of all of this terrible situation. It's in that prophetic message of calling people to repent and turn to the Lord. So Micah then, he goes on and comes back again to, uh, to the leaders. But this time, uh, we just see how extensive all of the problem is. It says, verse 9, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers. Um, and then verse 11, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. It's extensive. It's, it's everywhere. In every layer of leadership in society, the rulers as well as the priests and the prophets, both the, the church and, the, the, if you like, the secular authorities. Everywhere is corrupt. You know, they've turned away from the Lord. They've turned away from what is right and what is just. And there is no fear of God before them. They say, uh, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. They just, either they don't really um, believe in God, or they don't really think he's watching, or whatever it may be, they just say, oh, God doesn't really care. We can get away with it. They, they just write God out of the picture. Whether they believe God is there or not, they write him out of the picture. It's very secular in that sense, isn't it? Very secular. And, um, and they just presume that God will forgive them. If God is there, he will he will say, well, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come. We can just do what we like because God is surely just going to forgive and be merciful. Um, so therefore, it says, therefore, verse 12, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple mound overgrown with thickets. So because of their turning away from God, because of their presumption, then this disaster would take over them. Now, as we've been going through, I hope that you've um, been able to see some of the links there with what's happening uh, today. And you know, I've tried to draw some of that out as we go through. But let's take a, a moment to kind of perhaps draw a few threads together and think about this, about what this means for us as well. Micah was speaking to a world where corruption and godlessness was rife in society. And I believe we too are living in a time where corruption and godlessness are rife in society. You know, people do things because of profit and because of, um, you know, because they've got godlessness. They do what is immoral. You think, for example, I mean, um, one small example of, you know, when it came out about all of the, during the um, COVID, all of the contracts being awarded to friends of ministers, and all of that corruption. And think of the billions that were wasted that way. Um, but I also thought of um, recently Matt Hancock. He was, um, uh, you know, the former health secretary. He was in the, in the paper uh, arguing for assisted dying, basically for euthanasia, with one of his um, sort of, um, uh, not, it's not parishioner, is it, for MPs? It's um, anyway, but someone who lived in his constituency. And, um, and you think that was the health secretary arguing that we should be allowed as a society to kill people. A health secretary saying that we should be able to end someone's life. That is, I think, sums it up for me, the level 
where we are, that you know, there is just a complete godlessness and there's, there's a culture of death. You know, 200,000 abortions every year, over 200,000. You know, one in five pregnancies ends in an abortion, something like that. It's, the, the figures are staggering. That's the culture that we live in today. It's godlessness and corruption is rife and it's from the top. You know, not, obviously it's everywhere, but it goes from the top down to the bottom, if you like. That's, this is our society today. This is what Micah is describing. And I think people, if they even think of God, just assume that he will not judge. And this is something that I encounter time and time again. I think many people um, believe that God is there. But if they believe anything about him at all, they believe that he will simply forgive them no matter what they do. So long as they're not a particularly bad person. You know, that, um, well, of course God will forgive me. I haven't murdered anyone. I'm not a terrible person. But actually, this is not the gospel message, is it? You know, we believe in forgiveness. But we believe that forgiveness is through Jesus Christ and through him alone. And that once we come to Christ, we must be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it is what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And I know I, I quote this about once a year, but I, I think what he said here is just so very important and so relevant to what's happening in church and in society today. Let me just read you one little paragraph. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. This is his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And of course, Bonhoeffer knew what the cost of discipleship was, wasn't he? When he was, uh, when he was executed by the Nazis for, for standing up against evil. He knew the cost. And that is the thing, that uh, grace without any cost is not grace. That grace is free, but that doesn't mean that it comes without any cost, if you like, to us in how we respond to that grace. It's the pearl of great price, which we must give everything for. And when we realise how precious that grace is, then we realise how we must live. And that is, that is the wonderful message of Christianity, that we can be forgiven, but that forgiveness is worth everything we have. And I think that, sadly, even uh, the church today is... Uh, is often preaches this message of cheap grace. Certainly if you look at um, what you hear national church leaders say or people who get into the media and into the papers, and I think we said this last week, have you ever heard a bishop or someone in the media who has a profile say we need to repent of our sins and turn to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness? I don't think you ever hear that message, do you? Not really. You might hear the message that God loves you or Jesus loves you, which he does, gloriously but we don't hear the message that we actually need to do anything and and this is uh, this is the problem so where is God in all of this God as we saw God is in the spirit-filled proclamation of the gospel God is in that message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins let me read you what um, Paul says I've been reading through 1 Corinthians lately 
Let me just read you these famous words from the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. Uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's where the power and wisdom of God are found in this world. It's in the cross. It's in the message of Christ crucified. So we need to hold fast to the cross and we need to look to the wisdom of the cross in the way that we, we deal with all the problems of the world because ultimately the solution to all of the problems of the world is found on a hill outside Jerusalem. That's where the solution ultimately to every problem is found, when we come to the cross. That's the message that we need to preach, we need to live, we need to, to pray for, we need to pray that many people would see and hear and believe that message. And that is what will bring real change. And, and the good news is, and I'll just finish with this, the good news is that for those who do accept and believe that message, there is real forgiveness. Um, this is what it says in uh, Jeremiah 26, verses 18 and 19. Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favour? And did not the Lord relent? so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them. Hezekiah listened to this message, and that's the good news. Hezekiah listened to this message. He, re he repented, and God spared him and spared the people. And it can be the same today. When we come to God, when we repent of our sin, when we turn to him, then we can receive God's blessing. And I think that's an encouragement. I hope not just for us personally, but for, for all people now that message is when we come to the Lord, when we repent, then he will forgive us and he will bless us. Let's take a moment to pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the, uh, your word. We thank you for Micah. We thank you for this message and we pray that you would help us to have listening ears. We pray that you would help us to uh, put this into practice, to come to you day by day. Um, in repentance and trusting in you. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to proclaim that message as well to a world which so desperately needs it. And we pray that you would bring the, the glorious light of the gospel to light across our land, across our town, and all across our world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.